1 Samuel 25 this evening. If I had to make a list of people that I want to see when I get to heaven, Abigail would be way at the top of the list. Not at the top, but she'd be way up there. Uh, She is my favorite female character of the scripture, and hopefully, or not hopefully, but maybe you'll see it the same way by the time I'm done, or not. This is um, a challenge for not only the women, but for the men, too. It's just a virtuous character. Unwasted virtue is the title for tonight's consideration. And here we have a godly man afflicted by a murderous king, as we've been considering David through this study. But now this virtuous woman, she's distressed by an evil husband. One of the great lessons from this chapter is that virtue is unwasted because God values it. Regardless of what men may do with the virtue, in spite of those who turn out to be utterly evil fools as her husband turned out to be, God still valued her virtue. It was not wasted. It was wasted on him but not overall for her because of the Lord. And so, a a brief introduction. We need to get going because we have a lot of information here this evening. In verse 1, Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Samuel's death is recorded just after Saul's confession and admission that David will be king. That's in the previous chapter, the 20th verse. And so now Samuel dies. This Samuel anointed Saul to be king, but he also anointed David to be king. And David will be the greatest of all the kings in Israel among men, though Samuel will not see him reign. Samuel was almost done with this fallen world. He still has some work to do, believe it or not. He had his chance to serve God, and he served well. He was a faithful priest, and his qualities, they too were not wasted on this King Saul. They were wasted on Saul, but they were not wasted overall before the Lord. And that is important to us because we can get discouraged in serving God. We can feel like it's just not, no one appreciates it. We can feel unfulfilled, unappreciated. And the Bible has these lessons for us so that we'll know how to overcome such feelings. It says here at the bottom of verse 1, And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Two phrases linked together in that sentence to indicate the endless activity of God. Well, actually this verse, I said sentence, I misspoke, I should have said verse. Two phrases in this verse indicate the endless activity of God. Samuel died, David arose. The work keeps going. It does not stop with the individual. God raises up those whom he needs, and he will raise up uh, David further, and he has men such as Gad and Nathan and many others to this day. Verse 2, Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, this is Carmel in Maon, as it says, and not Carmel uh, to the north, Mount Carmel, where Elijah executed the pagan prophets, a different location. And it is in this area of Maon that Saul erected for himself... A monument because he was vain and vicious at the same time, and it's certainly in step with that personality. This is important to the story because Nabal is going to be against David and for Saul, and there's a link. Um, you, you can bet Nabal being so rich, he and Saul were buddies. And the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, wealthy by measure through livestock. Job had more. <laughs> when you don't like someone, you can add that. Yeah, just, yeah, it's not so great. 
but he, but he, he has about, what is it said again, uh, 3,000 sheep. He has 3,000 more sheep than I ever have had. And he was shearing the sheep in Carmel. Well, this is important. I mean, now he's cashing in. This is like a harvest. He's gathering the wool from the sheep. Now, many of these sheep are going to be slain, dressed and uh, ready, ready to be eaten, well, cooked and eaten. Uh, this is harvest time, uh, festive time for uh, Nabal. The money is just going to be flowing in. in. Verse 3, the name of the man was Nabal, and his wife, the name of his wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. There's much to be said about the original Hebrew that we're not going to say. Uh, we may bring one out here or there. But uh, the translators, again, they, they do a pretty good job overall. But you, you have to really work sometimes to, to extract even more. Anyhow... This marriage between the beauty and the beast, the true beauty and the beast story, oh, well, doesn't have a happy ending. Uh, she uh, was likely cast into this marriage. It was an arranged marriage for her. Uh, there's not much we know about it, but it is a mismatch. She is a sweetheart of a woman married to this monster, to the wrong man. Uh, Job was mismatched to some degree. Hosea the prophet was mismatched. And it doesn't, um, Hosea worked through it. Job apparently did himself also, but life is under the curse, and we don't lose sight of that. We just have to figure out how to respond to it. And, you know, Job, when he was at his lowest point, she nudged him to curse God and die. And, like, well, I love you too. Uh, not, that was not a virtue. And it wasn't presented that way. Anyway, it says here in verse 3, And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. Now, there are more virtues that she has than just the, these two. Uh, she ends up cleaning up the mess made by her full husband. And don't undervalue where the Bible says the man was harsh and evil in his doings. There's no mincing of words. It's straight out. And we're going to see by his behavior that even God didn't care for him. Uh, that's pretty intense. When God strikes someone down, <clears throat> uh, don't get on that list. Uh, anyway, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. Vital to the story because the lessons are uh, very, have very much to do with this. Her virtues, they shined and flashed out in spite of him. And this mismatch contrast between the two characters, her beauty and her understanding, his harshness and his evil, is, is intentional. It is the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to pay attention to these things. Choose you this day. Which character are you going to line up with? Nabal's thoughts may be expressed in the words of W.C. Fields. Some of you may not know who he is, and I'm not going to take the time to tell you. You can look it up. But W.C. Fields said, I am free of all prejudices. I hate everyone equally. <laughs> well, that was Nabal. He didn't like anybody except, uh, I guess, someone who could do something for him. Anyway, he was of the house of Caleb. Now, being from Judah, Caleb was in Judah's territory. The man Caleb uh, was of Judah. You would think that... Uh, he would be more sympathetic to David, who was of the same tribe. Oh, that would not be the case. Verse 4, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. Now, David was a shepherd, and so he knew, he understood what was happening. The sheep would be you know, the sheared, the wool would be taken. And then a great many of them would be slaughtered for, for food. And he anticipated this when his men were watching over the flocks of Nabal. He says, you know, he's going to come to, to shear the sheep, and that's when we're going to ask him for, in return of, of watching over his flocks, we're going to ask for just a little gift. 
Now, before we further develop that, why 10 men? Why does he send a squad of men? Why not just one or two men? Well, because he wanted enough men to bring back the goods. He's anticipating. He's got 600 men with him. For sure, later on, we know their families are with them. Uh, we don't know exactly how many of the, much of the families with them at this point, but it doesn't matter, 600 men. It's a lot of men to feed. So that's why he sends the 10. And verse 6, And thus you shall say to him, who lives in prosperity, <laughs> while I live in the caves, uh, peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Remember, David is training these men. David was well-bred. You know, he's given, he was taught manners. It's very important to have good manners. We all have manners, but are they good or bad? And he uses the shalom of the Jew. He's telling these men to be respectful when you, when you talk to, to him. Because uh, David probably thinks, you know, these guys just might be, hey, we watched your sheep, pay up. And he wants to make sure there's no blunders like that. Verse 7, now I have heard that you have shears, your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. <clears throat> Nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. Verse 8. For we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to you, to your hand, to your servants, and to your son David. To your son David. <laughs> He's not going to take it that way. Specific instructions. Hoping for rewards. David is saying, listen, I know you didn't ask us to watch over your flocks, but we both can benefit from this. And you certainly did benefit from it. That's what he's saying. So he says... Verify it with your servants and figure it out. Consider how much loss you may have incurred had we not been there. The Bedouins were always looking to, to rob and steal from others. And David said, we didn't let that happen. Verse 9. <clears throat> so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered. Now this is the drama music, right? David's servants uh, <clears throat> then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his master. Oh, man, you should not have said this. Uh, you know, you were fine telling David no, but messing with his dad. Who's David? It doesn't mean he doesn't know of David because he knows the name of his father. He certainly knows who David is. This was an insult. He's calling David's clan a bunch of nobodies, unimportant people. He is intentionally insulting him. He uses Saul's adversarial nickname, the son of Jesse. And he's too indecent to show any respect. He should have just said, no, I did not ask for it and I'm not paying for it. He could have said that and things probably would not have gotten ugly. But then he has to go and mess with his dad. Uh, there are, he continues, there are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his master. Oh, that's just gasoline on the fire. It's another insult. He's calling David a rebel against the good noble king, Saul. He's saying, David, you're a runaway slave. You have the audacity to ask me, who are you? An insignificant person? I would expect this kind of behavior from somebody from a... Uh, a, a nobody clan. Well, uh, when the innocent run for their lives, they're not rebels. And that's what David was doing. He was running for his life. According to Nabal, David has no right to defend himself. Unfortunately, there have been whole governments like this where your identity is insignificant. All communism is that way. It's the party. You have no individual rights. You know, Stalin had <clears throat> the farmers work out in the fields and the men and women work in the factories under the threat of being shot on the spot. There were soldiers there with rifles to make sure they farmed and worked, you know, the sickle and hammer, agriculture and industry for the good of the party. Meanwhile, the people starved. Anyway, uh, just what do we do in the, in the midst of Satan's work? Uh, there are people like Saul and there are people like Nabal 
and there are a bunch of other characters we're going to come up to that are here with us today. Uh, this, um, again, well, just as Nabal just said, uh, I'm not helping, it would have been fine, but he couldn't help himself. His character was as such, he's such a fool, so arrogant, he can't help himself, he has to give cheap shots. That's why he, this is who he is. If Abigail was virtuous, he is not. He's evil, and he is harsh, and it is coming out, and uh, now David is going to be infuriated. Verse 11 further indicates to us what kind of person he is. He says, Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? You know where he's from. He's from the house of Jesse. You lied. He might be talking about some of David's troops. What does it matter? You don't know where all of Saul's troops are from either. But notice how the Holy Spirit forever has preserved for us Nabal's personal pronouns. It, is my, it reminds us of the rich fool in the Gospel of Luke in the 12th chapter. My barns, my silos, my grain. Eight times, oh, seven times, we have the braggart use personal pronouns in this one verse. I, my, my, I, my, I. He thinks he's one of those self-made men. There's no such thing. All God has to do, again, is pinch the airline. and That's it. Well, verse 12, so David, David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told him all these words. What do you think that conversation was like on the way back to David? <laughs> I pity the fool. Because <laughs> Nabal is the fool. I pity the fool that would get up in David's face like that. He doesn't know who he's messing with. These, these are hardened troops. These men have seen combat more than once. They have killed people up close. These are the wrong people. You do not pull on their capes. And, and Nabal just picked the fight. Verse 13, Then David said to the men, to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. See, his personal. <laughs> this is like, you talked about my dad, man. You're going down. And uh, anyway, and about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. You know, it's not like, you know, Jesse was a good man. We know that. Uh, if he were a bad man, maybe David wouldn't have been so upset. But this was, uh, this was nasty. So he says, get your guns. David also girded on his sword, as I mentioned. It's personal. He's in the flesh now, no question. He's not, he's not you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he's not there. And it is... Be because of people like Nabal, this is what they do to the righteous people. David's probably back writing psalms, and they come back, and what did he say? He's still just strumming away. He, he says some bad things about your dad, and then all of a sudden the music stops, and, and he's, get your guns. Because of this one fool, messes up everything. It just takes one. Why is that law so written so? Anyway... Unfortunately for Nabal, he does not enjoy the anointed status that Saul has. David doesn't mind killing Nabal. He can skew him just as long as Saul's not around. So about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. This is a tactic David will repeat uh, later on in uh, another event. Uh, but these men, these 600 men, they were willing to share the hardship and excitement of life with David as a fugitive rather than submit to Saul. They knew Saul. They would rather die than serve Saul. So we come to the New Testament, and the New Testament says, okay, tone it down some. I'm not asking you to lose your mind. I'm not asking you not to, 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 to throw away reason. But you've got to understand what the goal is, the objective. The New Testament emphasis is not on... Get your guns. First Timothy, Paul writes to First Timothy. Writes First Timothy. <laughs> he writes to First Timothy. <laughs> his brother was Second Timothy. Anyway, he writes to Timothy in his first letter to him. He says, "I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere." Okay, that's a fair request from a Christian pastor to Christian men. 
or Christians in general. He says, lifting up holy hands. That's, a, that's a, those in pursuit of righteousness and holiness and purity that want it. Then he says, without wrath and doubting. Why does he have to say that? Because this life stirs wrath and doubts. That's what it does to the righteous. Now, you may be a Christian, a new Christian, yeah, 10 years or so. You really don't have that much time, maybe. In action, you got to give it time. It will come, and uh, you will have all of your uh, virtues and beliefs challenged, and you'll have to stand up to them. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, "Look, I know what it's like to be angry at things. I know what it's like to have doubts, but we can't give in to this. We can't just say, get your swords, every man, and just go ahead forward with the, the wrath." Romans twelve. He writes to that. Group of Christians, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Now, what if, what if somebody just read that to David? <laughs> I think he would say, yeah, tell me when I get back to my harp. But right now it's sword time. Anyway, verse 14. Now, one of the young men told Abigail. Now, now, Abigail comes really close up in the picture. Nabal's wife saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. Yeah, he did. This young man knew that this was not going to have a happy ending the way it was going. He also knew who not to go to. He does not go to Nabal and say, hey, you'd really messed up. He's going to kill everybody now. But he goes to Abigail. That tells us, that she was approachable, that she could do something, that she was not just, you know, uh, just good-looking. He's trusting her. She's virtuous. She's wise. She's industrious. She's got qualities that, again, wasted on this fool, but not wasted. Verse 15, but the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt. Nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. He's confirming David's words, of verse, uh, David's words to his men and then to Nabal in verse 8. The shepherds in those days. You remember in the book of Genesis when Joseph said, Oh, my family's all shepherds. The Egyptians said, You're shepherds. Those guys are thugs. They carry daggers and they kill you. I mean, they're very protective of their flock. They're not the most noble people you'll come across. And that's why the Egyptians disdained them. Well, why were they like that? Because out in the wilderness, there's no 911. You're it. And people wanted, you know, sheep, livestock, and oxen. They're like gold. What happened to all of Job's livestock? They came and stole it. So these were tough men. And yet, David's men were tougher. And they could have taken the sheep and killed them. And that's the point that they were trying to make to Nabal. Look, we could have just taken your stuff. And because we didn't, and not only did we not, you benefited from it. How about just a thank you note? Now, that doesn't put him under a contract. We may get to that in a minute. But let's go to verse 17. Now, therefore, know and consider, he's still talking to Abigail, what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. They could see it in the eyes of those men. When they walked out, they just daggers in their eyes. He continues, for he is such a scoundrel that one can't speak to him. He can't even talk to the guys. He's venting. He's a servant's venting to Abigail. This is her husband, but he knows, you know, she's not an irrational woman. He knows he can say this at a moment like this. I don't think he'd just do it, you know, just on the fly. But this moment dictated severe, a severe situation was dictated to them. What to do, Abby? What are you going to do? They're coming to kill us. And she does what I would never have thought to do. My way would have failed. I would have armed the men, set a perimeter and ambushes, you know, just to, to, to tactics. Fire with fire. She uses water on fire. And she prevails. She pursues peace with dignity and reason and products, <laughs> and goods, armed with reason and food. How do you stop a charging army of men? Food. 
You put up, you put up, you put up a salad bar. That won't do it. But he put a meat bar up. Then, then maybe that you'll get them. Anyway, New Testament rings in on this behavior of this woman. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. She is a peacemaker. If you were to go to your Bible and have to say, okay, name three people in the Bible who are peacemakers, she have to be on that list. And we're going to see in a moment. For she is, oh, he says, for he is such a scoundrel. I'm in verse 17. That one cannot speak to him. Literally a son of worthlessness. Belial. It is like the ultimate uh, word of contempt on someone. And this, uh, he's, he's at the, so if you had to name a list of scoundrels in the Bible, guess where Nabal would be? He'd be on the short list too. <clears throat> so awful was this man that other adjectives had to be called in to describe him. Obnoxious, extremely unpleasant person. We have a lot of words in our language to describe a person like this, but they're not good from the pulpit or, any, or many other places. Verse 18, And Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seth of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on the donkeys and a partridge in a pear tree. This, she's on the ball. They have a warehouse. He's got a large, you know, working ranch. A lot of hands. They've got to feed these people. That's why this food is there ready, and plus it's festival time. She goes, kicks right into action. There's no indication that she hesitated. It's like when Abraham, when the visitors came to Abraham, he's running to Sarah. Quick, get it. She grabs a lamb and dresses it, and he's running, scrambling. Well, here, she's not scrambling to entertain company that popped in unannounced. She is scrambling for their lives. And we can't lose sight of that. They are afraid they're all going to be slaughtered. It was not uncommon in those days. No time to tell the fool. He would have only gotten everyone killed anyway. She makes haste another time in this chapter. And it's when it's time to marry David. It's another interesting part of the story. Continues in verse 18. And took 200 loaves of bread. Well, you got the list there. We don't have to reread it. But not only to appease David, but to compensate him. To say a worker is worthy of his wages. Now, now is her chance, though. She's missing an opportunity. She can be rid of the fool. She can go in the opposite direction and just take a walk in the park for a while. And come back and he'll be gone. David would have done her dirty work. But there were others. You see the magnificence of this woman? There were other people there. It wasn't just Nabal. Maybe if it was just him. She would have said, what, they're coming to kill David? I got a good idea. Let's go up on the hill and collect some daisies. We'll be back in about three or four hours. David could have rid himself of Saul with one thrust of his sword. And Abigail rid herself of Nabal by a walk in the park, but she does not. She could have escaped the hardship instantly. But God was perfecting her as he was David through hardship, as he does us. And none of us like it. I, I mean, James tries to tell us, you know, count it all joy when you enter into various... Look, I don't count it joy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a hard time with that, James. But thanks for putting it in my head. Now I have guilt, too. <laughs> I mean, selective hardship's not bad. It's the ones that you really hate that uh, seem to get under your skin. And in this case, it would be swords. Uh, they have a way of getting under your skin that's unique. Anyhow, <laughs> David with his 400 men versus Abby with her raisins and donkeys and, and her beauty and her wit, and David's going to lose. It's not really that, you know. It's not, it is a contest. It is a contest of influence. Who is influence is, is David's quest for revenge more intense than Abigail's appeal for peace? Well, she's a wise woman because she does not go empty-handed. She combines wit with gift. She doesn't say, well, I'm just going to trust the Lord and, you know, talk to him. 
she she kicks those servants into gear. And that's a lot of it's a donkey convoy coming his way. Verse 19. You see the little CBs on the on the donkeys. Break one. I don't know if people even use CBs anymore. If they even say break one nine. Anyway, uh, uh, all right, I'm fighting off thoughts. And she said, verse, verse 19, and she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As I commented about that part, the last, her not telling him already, uh, she needed them to instantly obey, to comply with their instructions, which they did. That's a very big plus. I mean, because one of them could have said, what? That's not going to work. We didn't need to fight this guy or run for our lives. We take him, you know, meat. That's, that's, you just can't throw meat at an army. But she does. Nabal's meanness, it made him a fool. He was mean, and therefore he was foolish. He is the village idiot of the story. And he's super rich. He has no excuse for this. It's not like he was repeatedly dropped on his head as a kid. He opts to be nasty. And he created this disaster, and he can be no part of the solution. And yet, she has suffered him for who knows how long. She's doing what she has to do. She, this Abigail, employs tactics that we find Jacob using against his approaching brother with his army of 400 men. Esau, we'll find out as we go through this that she is a student of the book of Genesis. She, she throws out words that we find in Genesis at the right time. She uses a speech that Judah used when he spoke to Joseph that finally broke Joseph down and made Joseph chase everybody out of the room and then he reveals himself with tears to his brother. She was very familiar with the book of Genesis. She was a woman of the word. And she bravely here is risking her life going in front of David and being abused uh, by her husband should uh, he survive this. She's searching for solutions. But she's applying who she is. She's not trying to be somebody else. She's not trying to be one of the guys. She has virtues. And they are unwasted. And we're seeing them in action. And we know how difficult this is. Because when you and I fail, doing what we know the scripture says, we feel it. Verse 20, so it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. She didn't meet them like, hi, my name is Abigail, how are you? (laughs) Of course... Someone recalled that she was out of sight down that hill for a moment and put it in the story, a very real part of the story. And she surfaces. And she, uh, and incidentally, I don't know when we'll get to this. Of course, she, she becomes the wife of David and into the palace life. But we don't read of her anymore. My thinking is, she said, David, look, I love you. I have a ranch And I'm going back there. You come visit when you want. (laughs) Because I can't take the palace life. The gossip, the drama, the hatred. I'm out of here. I believe that was because she's too wise to sit there and just be one of the potted plants in the midst of all that. Anyway, uh, you'll find out I'm right when you get to heaven. And you will be expected to tell me that when you get to heaven. Hey, Rick, you were right about Abby. All right, verse 21. Now David had said... Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. Why is he bothering to talk to her? Because she sent the goods ahead of her, just like Jacob did, to break it, get him. What is all this? Well, we're not opening up a roadside stand, David. It's for you. And he knows this. He knows his men need this. And so the, she's already working on him. I, I just love it. I, I don't know. I, I wish I had that kind of ability to, to shut up people and, and make them very happy, attacked, you know, not go away enemies. Anyway, um, I don't remember where I was at. 
Oh. Verse 21. And David says, surely in vain I have protected. So he's, he's sort of venting at the same time to her. You have benefited from this. Why have I been insulted? Because you overestimated the decency of Nabal. That's why you got into this mess. Yeah, he was not under covenant with you, David. You just expected him to be decent. And again, if it was the right of Nabal to say no. It was not his right to insult, verse 22. But then it wasn't David's right to kill him for it either. Verse 22, may God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. This is a rash oath of a good but angry man. It will be neutralized by the virtuous woman. Reminds us of Jephthah and his silly oath. Whatever comes out of the house. Okay, that's a fair oath. And then it's his daughter. Whatever comes out first. Now that's, and he doesn't have to uphold the oath. Never is a pledge to do evil for us to uphold. An evil pledge is not binding on a believer. If, for instance, you know, I'm going to rob a bank. Oh, I said it, now i got to do it. That's silly. No man is bound by an oath of evil. And David, of course, he's just totally in the flesh. Satan is using Nabal to try to get to David, to destroy him. He is also sifting David and Abigail at the same time. And God is allowing that part of it. Now, David uses very strong language here when he says, if I leave one male, one man. Um, it, it's, it's crass language. It's used as a, a, a word of contempt in the Old Testament when judgment was coming on those who were uh, just uh, held in contempt. They were going to be annihilated because they were just not worth living. And if you have the old King James, it's very strong. The translators of the ancient, uh, the ancient translators, they use a very strong word. And so basically it says those who urinate against the wall. Uh, that's the literal from the Hebrew. I mentioned to you earlier that the, you know, the Hebrew is rich with some of these thoughts. And we filter, the translators filter some of them out because they become a distraction. Um, and, and rightfully so. Um, not rightly that they become a distraction, but they need to, some of them need to be filtered out because it's lost in the, in the culture and the age that we live in and just so many other factors. Anyway, verse 23. Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkeys, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. And so now it, the true engagement begins between the two. We're not just getting what's in David's head as we were getting earlier. Now we're, they're going to uh, discuss it. Um, Again, sometimes it's, we should fight fire with water, not with fire, and that's what she's doing. She approaches him in a posture of submission and reverence at the same time. And this was common. David approached Saul this way. It is another gesture found in the book of Genesis when Jacob approaches Esau under similar conditions. Who knows what her morning devotions may Maybe she had morning devotions as she was reading the story uh, in Genesis. Verse 24, so she fell at his feet and said, Oh, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. Please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Um, Abigail, it is not your fault when you say, let this iniquity be on me. But as is the way it is in human, you know, somebody who does something wrong and then you deal with them. Why do you feel guilty? Why is, well, I mean, I don't know about, I do sometimes, I deal with somebody who just is wrong. And then I have a little guilt. This is what people like Nabal can do. And that's why we say, to her, well, maybe, maybe try, don't want to do that to someone else. Do something wrong to them and they feel guilty for my wrong. And this is a little bit of what we're getting from Abigail. Because she's just such a nice gal. So she seeks permission from David to state her case. And uh, his, he yields to this. Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. So David is going to hear her out. Now, the proverb is penned by Solomon much later, but it was likely something similar already in existence. 
And there are things that a woman can do in dealing with men like this that a man cannot do and expect the same results. If if that male servant had come to David like this, he might not have been so ready to listen to him. But he sees the goods, he sees the woman, and he kind of dials it down a little bit in verse 25, at least enough for her to state her case. Please, verse 25, let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Well, she get that out. It's been pinned up a long time. She probably had a lot more to say. But now's not the time. The circumstances dictated that she discloses her knowledge of this man and her position about this man as she is interceding for his life. She could say, can you just kill him? She could just, look, the other people, they're innocent, but if you take him out, there's plenty more raising cakes where that came from. <laughs> so, Nabal... He was rich and he was mean. It was a common combination. And I have another W.C. Fields quote. Look, I found them in my notes from last time. You know, these are really good. Talking about mean people, W.C. Fields said, I start every day with a smile and get it over with. <laughs> I think that's, I'm going to try that. Anyway. <laughs> Don't you ever smile? I do when I wake up. Anyway, uh, this uh, back to this vile person. He says, but I, your maidservant, verse 25, at the bottom of the verse, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. She is saying, you know, you're, you're right, David, and I, I would have dealt with this differently. I'm in agreement with you. And so he's finding, you know, he's finding a companion, a, a companion in spirit. And she's saying, you have friends in the camp. Um, Kind word turns back wrath. And he's giving her time to do that. These are, this is her wisdom, her insights, her gifts, all of this together. It's a combination of these things, no single thing. Verse 26, now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since Yahweh has held you back from coming to bloodshed, And from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. Well, when she says here, as your soul lives, you've been held back from bloodshed, well, he could have just killed her. I mean, he's enraged. Somebody else might have done that. She knew God sent her to this very moment for this purpose. And he does too. He's going to admit it later. And she quickly brings the Lord, the covenant name of Yahweh, to the front, knowing that David will honor that. Saul would do it, but Saul didn't mean it. But David knows, I think, I think that as she's speaking, she certainly is gauging the moment. If she looks at him in his face, she's going to see in his countenance that there is kindness behind those angry eyes because she never finds it in Nabal. You could say she would have been trained to notice the absence of kindness. And when she detects there is kindness, she continues to go forward. So, so far, so good. But she still hears the bomb ticking. It's not totally diffused. There's still more to be said. And she knew about avenging herself firsthand because of whom she lived with. I mean, she could have probably put the wrong kind of mushrooms in the stew one night. Um, But, um, of course, that might be a... A reach on my part, but it is, (laughs) her character would never have done it. Anyway, uh, David, she is saying, you will be guilty of breaking the law. Exodus 23, it makes it clear, you're not to punish the innocent with the guilty. And David was going to wipe out all the men, and they were innocent. And she is bringing that up. God is withholding your hand from bloodshed, she says. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. What does that mean? Only thing that can mean is Nabal really is harmless. He can't beat you, David. And I hope all of your enemies are like that. 
I hope Saul can never beat you and no one else. And that's David went to his grave unbeaten. He lost battle here and there, but he, he was not killed on the battlefield and he had spent a lot of time there. And so she says, may they, your enemies be weak. He's liking that. Verse 27. Talk about you get more, more with honey than vinegar, man. She is just masterful at this. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Now she's got his leadership out in the open. <laughs> David could say, you know what, I'll take him anyway and still kill everybody. Uh, but, of course, she knows that he is a greater man than this. And uh, David, he has uh, certainly got to be encouraged by this and impressed by her spirit, her tone, her words, her humility. All of it brought to bear. All of it brought to the front. Uh, the scriptural truths that she is using She did not just use God's name. She also uses his word. Verse 28. uh, Pause. As magnificent as her performance is, it would have failed on Nabal. Takes two to tango. It still comes down to the individual. Nabal would have never given her this space. Verse 28. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. For Yahweh will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of Yahweh and evil is not found in you throughout your days. This is profound. I mean, now she's bringing up the battle with Goliath, the duel with Goliath. She knows she's pushing all the right buttons. In two weeks, she'll be free. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but the harsh word stirs up anger. Well, Nabal stirred up the anger. Nabal, uh, his wife is using the soft answer. What a contrast in the two. How many people were saying bad things about Nab- uh, Abigail because they liked Nabal's money or something else about him? They would be fools too. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. Again, You're not guilty. No matter what anybody says, she bears no guilt. Because people like him make the innocent feel guilty. For Yahweh will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. She's saying God can do better with this and has promised you he is going to do better with this. You're going to keep going. This is not going to stop you. Nabal telling you no, insulting you, it's not going to stop you from getting to the throne. What can he say to that? Can, can he say, yeah, well, I can't be king now because I was insulted? Of course he can't say that. Then she says this. This has got to get him because my Lord fights the battles of Yahweh. Can't say that about Saul. With Samuel now gone, who's fighting the battles of Yahweh? Saul, of course, he fought his battles of his... He fought against Yahweh. So the inference is that David is destined for greatness by the hand of God. And he's not supposed to descend into personal spats and feuds along the way. Man, she is amazing. Because my Lord fights the battles of Yahweh for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Notice her play on words. She doesn't say for Yahweh will certainly make for my Adonai. She says the great Adonai, the great Lord, not using the covenant name but a term of great respect. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house. David is currently childless. And she is saying, you're going to have kids. They're going to last. God's going to put you on the throne. And, uh, you know, reminiscent of the Lord said to my Lord, sit down on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. You know, you can know the Bible and know not what to do with it. You can know the Bible and do the wrong thing with it, like Satan there in the wilderness against the Lord. Or you can know the scripture and apply it the right way as she is doing. And evil is not found in you throughout your days. Don't ruin your future David. Yet we all mess up. We all have shortcomings. She doesn't know the degree of his mistakes that are coming, but she knows God will make it through that with David. Verse 29, yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. 
But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with Yahweh your God and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. It doesn't stop. She is making sure you talk about driving these points home. She says, yet a man has risen to pursue and seek your life. Of course, that would be Saul. She is acknowledging that because Nabal's not pursuing David. David likes to hear that. She's on his side. But then, then she says, but the life of my Lord is bound in the bundle of the living with the Yahweh your God. This is another reference to Genesis. It was Judah that said to Joseph about Jacob that Jacob's life was bound in the bundle of the lad, Benjamin. You're asking us to leave Benjamin, but it will kill the father. And she's drawing this language out, a scriptural language. David would have been picking up on this. And the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out from the pocket of a sling. Oh, come on, Abby. It's a little thick now. A a, a deliberate choice of words in a delicate situation. The bomb's not ticking so much now. This, she's bringing up the giant. She is saying, God took him out. What makes you think he's not going to take out your other enemies? His hand is on you, David. That was an effortless victory in the Valley of Elah. Nobody thought you'd win that. Nobody thinks you're going to be free from Saul, but God knows you are. Satan can pursue you, but God can sling him out. It is a Goliath point made by Abigail. David has to be thinking at this time, what a woman. When he rides away, the men are going to say to themselves, what just happened? (laughs) We just gird your swords, men. And they're all going back, their shoulders down, kind of humming. Anybody know a good cadence song? Uh, Anyway, I'm sorry for even bringing that up to myself because most of the cadence songs are lewd. (laughs) Anyway, verse 30, and it shall come to pass when Yahweh has done for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel. We pause there. David, when he says when God is going to appoint you ruler, that's king. He's got to be saying to himself, oh, man, I want it to be today. I just when is this going to be? She is saying to him, Nabal is not going to matter to your future. It's not worth the bloodshed, the violation of God's word. And good people are very grateful to the Lord for stopping them slash us from doing evil. And maybe you had an intent to really do something wrong and God stopped it. And you're very grateful. And that's what's happening here. Saul had his inactive regret. Sorry, David, didn't mean to hunt you down. I'll be chasing you next week, though. But when David has a regret, he's serious about it and he takes steps to fix it. He acts upon his ill-intended action by not going forward. Because what could stop him? There was nothing between Nabal and David that could stop him. He was a juggernaut at that moment, except for Abigail. And she says, and has appointed you ruler over Israel. By faith, she knows that David is predestined by God to be king, just like Rahab knew the Jews were predestined to conquer the land. Verse 31, it says, now, again, Abigail does not fight like a man. It's like a woman. And that is something that, of course, Satan is trying to throw out of this society so there is no distinction between a male... I mean, femininity. I mean, the, the world hates femininity now. But it is um, very beneficial to us to know that the world is wrong in their approach and God is right and that women and men have different roles, but they are of equal value to God. Uh, verse 20, Verse 31. <clears throat> that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause. That's scriptural. She's using scripture. I mentioned Exodus. It's Deuteronomy 19 also. Or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when Yahweh has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. 
She's already got the victory written down. She's already saying Saul's not going to get you. David doesn't. He likes this, but he's, he's going to lapse back into, I think Saul's going to get me. We'll get that next chapter. But anyway, she is uh, calling it just like it is. She says, then remember your maidservant. How could he ever forget Abigail? He had never met a woman like this. And uh, how was this speech preserved? I mean, was there a guy with a stylus there? Hold it, Abby. What, what, what did you say? Repeat that last line. Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 19. All this, said David, Yahweh made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. He spoke that about the, the plan of the, the t- tabernacle that Solomon built. But what we get out of that is God spoke to his prophets. He spoke to those who wrote the scriptures and preserved them for us. And they were able to research and, and find the words that were spoken and preserve them. And um, it, it, here it is. This is womanhood at its finest. As we have seen many men, I mean Daniel, Joseph, I mean his manhood at its finest, uh, Paul and so many others. Uh, this is womanhood at its finest. And um, she's not manipulative. She's just telling God's truth instead. Verse 32, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is Yahweh, God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. There are no better words of peace given in the scripture, and there are no better words of peace received in scripture. It's a, it would have been wasted if David said, nah, I'm going to kill him. He does not. He is, he's done. Psalm 141, verse 5. Listen to this about being corrected as he was. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness And let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Do you think David may have had this moment in mind when he wrote that 144th, 130, Psalm 141? (laughs) That's, uh, I think there's a direct connection. Um, Verse, we have to move on, unfortunately, because of time, because there's so much more to say. Verse 33, and blessed is your advice, and blessed are you. He says, Harold, blessings now. He's just like, really, I'm sorry, Abigail. Here's my wallet. Because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. So he, he confesses the enormity of his intended sin. Some of David's men can hear this. Not all of them. I mean, it's... 400 of them, the guys in the back camp. What's the holdup? How long are we going to wait? <laughs> it's like stuck in traffic. Um, anybody got a sandwich? Uh, anyway, uh, some of them heard this, and there's no protest. As it was in the cave, kill them. What do you, let, you know, let's do them in now. Nobody's protesting with her speech. Verse 34, for, Dave, for indeed, as Yahweh God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, <laughs> by the way, unless you had hurried and come to meet me. Surely, by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. Yeah, you left out the goodies she brought, David, uh, because that was a big part of the whole process, too. It costs something to forgive people. He is forgiving uh, in the Old Testament <laughs> sense of the word. Really, he's not. If, if Nabal stepped out of the bushes, for example... It probably would have went bad for him at that moment. But in the New Testament, by the New Testament standard, forgiveness is painful. That is the message of the cross, for God to forgive us. The Father's heart had to break at the giving of his Son, and the Son had to, of course, cry out, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it is uh, a part of forgiveness. And remember that next time you have to forgive and it hurts, it's supposed to hurt. It is not an indication, okay, I'm not going to forgive because this is painful. It's an indication you're supposed to forgive and trust God with the outcome. Um, I like trying to not get in a situation where I have to forgive (laughs) because it hurts too much. A little humor lost on the crowd. Verse 35, so David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have... Heeded your voice and respected your person. Job said to those accusers, how forceful are right words. Anyone under saying, you guys don't know anything about it. <laughs> but, but how forceful are right words. And here they are. It would not have been forceful on Nabal. 
Verse 36, now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore, she told him nothing, little or much, until morning. She just doesn't, she's still wise. Instead of forcing the point, I got to talk to you, I got to talk to you. Yeah, no point in talking to him now. Uh, I'll tell him tomorrow. And uh, he is oblivious to the whole thing, that just as wicked people like him are, that righteous people are actively working on their behalf, praying for them, hoping for them, and he's just, uh, well, this, this will be his last his last dance. Verse 37. So it, <clears throat> so it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. <laughs> he either had a stroke or a heart attack. Uh, this, uh, he couldn't. The thought. He is such a bitter fool. The news of kindness to another at his expense cost him his life. He'd rather die than be kind. And so he got his wish, kind of, kind of a thing. The fact, you gave David what? 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 And he just worked himself up, and now he's going to die. Verse 38, and then it happened about 10 days, after about 10 days, that Yahweh struck Nabal, and he died. And so the historian says, this is from God. This is God's hand. This wasn't an accident. Don't go saying, oh, well, you know, stuff like that happens. Yeah, it happens because God <laughs> sovereignly dealt it out. That's why it happened. And everybody knew it was an act of God. And his lingering gave everybody a chance to think about these things. Verse 39. So when David, <clears throat> so when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be Yahweh, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil. For Yahweh has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. This is um, running out of time. He's not so much rejoicing that, well, I'm glad he's dead, although he's happy he is. But it's the activity of God in judgment, that God fought the fight, administered justice. We want to see this more often from the hand of God. But it is through these hardships that God gets whatever he's getting done accomplished in us, and we submit to him. And there's nothing hell can do about it. But uh, pour on us more trouble, and we endure, and one day God will make it all right. It says David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. He wasted no time. <laughs> Nobody else is going to snatch that one up. Uh, uh, what a, you certainly can't blame him. And he does not have to wait for a period of mourning. He can marry her the next day. Uh, there's no prohibition on this whatsoever. She is free. Verse 40, when the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. So men, it is biblical, do you, if any of you are single, it is biblical to send somebody else to ask your bride-to-be to marry you. As, but just be ready for the answer. If you do it that way, be something like, are you kidding? Verse 41, then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Here's another reference to now we got Rebecca from the Old Testament watering the camels. And she's just amazing, this woman. Connection to Genesis. Um, I will be your servant. Verse 42. So Abigail rose in haste, rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens. See, she's, she's got her own means. She's, she's got money. She doesn't need... Well, let me finish this. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Even when she wastes no time. So Abby rose and in haste. She hurried up to do this. Again, she's rich and she leaves her ranch for the wilderness with David. Now she's part of the hunted party of Saul. It's true love. And the Bible does not really focus on this. It doesn't have to. Uh, David, verse 43, also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wife. As David, yeah, he messed it all up. I mean, he just want to kind of, you know, if he didn't have the sword, give him a shove. Like, can't just be happy with Abigail. But, you know, he's going to have more wives by the time it's done. Uh, anyway, 
uh, those, that's how it was done in those days. Verse 44, But Saul had given Michelle, his daughter, David's wife, to Paltai, uh, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Michelle was no longer Saul's daughter, and Saul was not free to give her to anybody. David is still married to her, and David is not going to stand for this, and it's going to be a sad part of the story, and it will be sad to the end between he and Michelle because of the bitterness. But anyway, um, that's our first session of Abby. If you could take a break and come back, we'll do session two. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, again, may you find us acting on the lessons that we receive from your word. May we not be harsh and may we not be evil, but may we be in tune with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we ask you to get us all home safely. Amen.